As you're being seated, if you would, turn with me to Matthew chapter 5 as we continue in our study of the Beatitudes uh, that we have called the Upside Down Life. And if there's anything that would be considered upside down, that would be for us to believe at any point that this world could have peace. Because if you look around you, it is easy to see that chaos is abounding. And yet Jesus calls us to a life of peace. And so how did these two things intermingle? How did these two things intersect? How does chaos and peace collide with one another. You know, our world doesn't necessarily have a good track record when it comes to peace. In fact, right after World, uh, world War II, uh, we had this incredible idea uh, that we should create the United Nations. It was an attempt from all of the nations together to try to obtain peace or conduct or some sort of order. And, but what this says, uh, as far as the preamble at their inception, the preamble of the charter of the United Nations begins with uh, these words. It says, uh, we, the peoples of the United Nations determined to save succeeding generations from the scourge of war. Did you know that since the creation of the United Nations, there has not been one day of peace in the world. It is kind of funny. You can laugh at that, I guess. I feel weird about it, but you can. But it's interesting to think that in all of our attempts to, to find peace, that we just continue to strike out week after week, year after year. In fact, I was reading uh, this past week uh, from... Dr. Jim Dennison, in a book that he wrote, uh, he says that over the 3,400 years of recorded history, only 268 of those years could be identified as peaceful, which means that only 8% of our recorded history could we say that there was peace on earth. That's not a great track record. That doesn't give us much hope to put our hooks in, and but don't even think about it on a global perspective. Think about it just within your own personal family. Uh, the, the concept of keeping peace, the concept of having peace even in your own family is difficult. I mean, we are often dealing with family breakups, family feuds, broken marriages, wayward children, financial unrest, instability with your job, and on and on and on in your individual life has all the reason to disrupt any type of peace that you would claim in your own heart. And peace is hard to find in a world that celebrates chaos, in a world that celebrates disruption, disunity, division, and all of the source, if 2020 was anything, it gave us a reminder that the world doesn't celebrate what we ought to. But Jesus calls us to something higher. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, he says, Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. You see, Jesus is calling us to participate in kingdom work, 
for everyone who is a follower of Jesus, everyone who claims to know Christ, you have this calling within you to kingdom work. And he says, and to be called sons of God, guess what? You are going to be a peacemaker. I find this interesting. I find this interesting in a world that we cannot ever seem to find peace, that Jesus says that this is a marker of those who follow me, that they will be peacemakers. And so what does it mean for us? What, is, what does it mean for you and I to be peacemakers? You know, I love when we get to Psalm chapter 85. And if you will, turn your Bibles there to Psalm chapter 85, because I think there is a little bit of explanation that we can find in the Old Testament of what Jesus is maybe talking about here in the New Testament, in the Beatitudes, in the introduction of this Sermon on the Mount. And Psalm chapter 85 gives us insight for us to understand what peace even is. And so if you have your Bible, will you just stand with me? As we read together God's word, we're going to read Psalm 85, verses 8 through 13. It says this, starting in verse 8. It says, I will listen to what God will say. Surely the Lord will declare peace to his people, his faithful ones, and not let them go back to foolish ways. His salvation is very near those who fear him, so that glory may dwell in our land. Faithful love and truth will join together. Righteousness and peace will embrace. Truth will spring up from the earth and righteousness will look down from heaven. Also, the Lord will provide what is good and our land will yield its crops. Righteousness will go before him to prepare the way for his steps. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask now, God, just as you promised to prepare our steps, we ask now that you would prepare our hearts to hear your word. God, that by your spirit, Lord, that you would take these words and that you would apply them so that we may become more like your son, Jesus. And God, it is in his name we pray. Amen. We may be seated once again. In a world that is chaotic and obviously lacking peace, How are we as followers of Jesus to be peacemakers? Well, I think it would be good for us if we were to begin. And number one, this, peacemakers have a biblical expectation of peace. Uh, To have a biblical expectation, we must have a biblical understanding, a biblical foundation of what peace really is. Because when we get to this word shalom, we all have uh, references or, or an understanding of what that word might mean. If you were to go over to Israel or if you were to, were to be around any of our Jewish friends, then they would say shalom as a greeting. But what we see in scripture is that shalom is much more than a greeting. We can't understand this fully in a superficial sense. It it actually means completeness. It means that there is soundness or welfare between parties. It means that there is a complete reconciliation. In fact, when you look all throughout Scripture, there are over 400 references just to the idea, the concept of peace. And in Psalm 85, we see a direct expectation from the psalmist. He says in verse eight, he says, I will listen to what God will say, but here's the expectation. Surely the Lord will declare peace 
to his people, his faithful ones, and not let them go back to foolish ways. The expectation is that surely God will declare peace. Surely that God will make a way for peace in this world. Surely God will intervene and allow peace to flourish in this world. There is an expectation for peace. And shalom is everything that the Garden of Eden was intended to be. You see, from the beginning in Genesis chapter 1, you see complete wholeness. You see complete reconciliation between God and man and also between woman and man. There was no enmity between woman and man. There was communion between God and man. And you see this in, in this moment of history, this completeness called peace on earth. And this is the idea. This is the concept of peace. This is the expectation of peace. But if we have a clear expectation of peace, then we should be able to, as followers of Jesus, we should be able to experience this peace. You see, number two, peacemakers, we, this is what we do. We have a supernatural experience with peace. Robert G. Ingersoll, who was a lawyer and writer, not a believer to my knowledge, in fact, he was known as the greatest defender of agnosticism. And he said this because of his misunderstanding of peace and how to experience it. He says this. He said, Christian kings have no confidence in the promises of each other. What they call peace is the little time necessarily spent in reloading their guns. That's pretty comical. He says that the only time... And I would even contend that the 8% that Dr. Dennison talks about of having peace on earth is just moments of where war ceased only because people were reloading their guns, reloading their arguments, reloading what they think is rightfully theirs, reloading what they think is rightfully understood within themselves. I actually think that Robert G. Ingersoll had a little bit of insight there. He's recognizing that there was no true peace taking place on earth. The problem is he didn't know where to obtain it. You see, if you and I, if we are going to experience peace, we must understand where does peace derive from? Where does it actually come from? Listen to what Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse 27. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give as the world gives. Don't let your heart be troubled or fearful. You see, what Jesus is claiming here is that peace only comes from him. Real peace. Not the pause to reload. Not just some type of truce. Not a treatise that we could possibly sign and then disrupt years later. But he said, a true peace I give to you. I leave with you. But this comes from salvation in Jesus. Ultimately, this is how we obtain peace. 
peace from God, is salvation from God. Because here's what the Bible claims. The Bible claims that that Jehovah God, he is the God of peace. And the God of peace sent his son, who is the Prince of Peace. And he says, if you want to know peace, then you need to receive salvation from the God of peace that is given to you through the Prince of Peace. This is what it says in Psalm 85, verse 9. He says, his salvation is very near those who fear him so that glory may dwell in our land. You see, we do not look to the government for peace. We do not expect peace from the UN, the guys in the blue hats. They don't, they don't give out peace because it only comes from Jesus. And the Bible makes that clear. But for so many of us, we think to ourselves, we think, okay, well, I have given my life to Jesus I've been saved by Jesus, but I do not have peace in my life. I'm not experiencing the peace that the Bible is talking about. In fact, my life is riddled with anxiety, with worry, with fear, not peace. But I think there are things that we can do according to scripture to embody, to welcome, to foster peace in our lives. And the first one is this, we should live in his grace. The first thing that we need to understand that if we are to foster peace in our own lives and in our heart, in our families, in our workspace, in any context that you can imagine, if we want to welcome peace, then God says, then live in my grace. You know, we think peace so often is obtained by avoiding chaos. That if I could just sidestep this tragedy, then I will have peace in my life. If I could just get around this turbulence in my life, if I could just somehow overcome this loss at my job, if I could just overcome this moment that's fragile in my marriage, if I could just overcome these things, then I will have peace in my life. You see, peace is not about avoiding circumstances. It is about surrendering to the God of peace. He says, live in my grace. We are to live in his grace. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the peace that is offered is because you have been justified. The greatest turbulence in your life is sin. The greatest invitation of anxiety to your life is to welcome sin in your life. But to live in God's grace means to live in his redemptive work. It means to live in his forgiveness. To understand that the greatest plight that you are facing as far as death that is rightfully deserved to you and me, that God has satisfied that through his son Jesus. And this is peace offered to you. And the second thing that we see is if you want to foster peace in your life. You live in his grace and you live by his word. You live by his word. You see what Psalm 119, 165. Yeah, there are a lot of verses in Psalm 119, all right? But verse 165 says, great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. I love that. If you want to experience peace in your life, guess what the psalmist is saying? 
He said, then abide to the word of God. Live by his word. If you want to stiff arm the peace of God in your life and living in his peace, then ignore God's law. Ignore God's word. Don't partake of God's word. Don't take it in. That's how we invite chaos. That's how we invite calamity. That's how we invite anxiety in our lives. It's for us to ignore the law of God. And this is something for us to think through because in the perfection of peace in Genesis chapter one, where there was completeness, wholeness, at the moment that Genesis chapter three took place was the invitation of our peace to be taken away. You see, this is what happened with Adam and Eve. It wasn't just a choice they made But rather what they did is they began to believe the lies of the enemy more than they believed the word of God. They knew what the Lord had called them to do. They knew what God had said to them to live in righteousness, to obey what the Lord was saying. They knew how to obey the Lord, but they began to trust what the enemy was saying. And the words of the enemy became louder than the words of God. And at that point, they were stiff-arming God's peace, welcoming chaos into their lives. You see, in that moment in Genesis chapter 3, eternal peace was cashed in for a temporary truce with evil. And so often we do the same thing. Now, we can't pretend that that is the only issue with anxiety. We're not going to get into the depths of that. But for you and your family, we can trust God's word of what it says is that if you want to embody peace, if you want to welcome peace in your home, in your life, then you live by his word. And this is what he says in Psalm 85, verse 10. It says, faithful love and truth will join together, righteousness and peace. Those things will embrace. He's saying you cannot have peace apart from truth and you cannot have truth if you ignore God's word and don't live by his word. There's a calling to peace and that is the route to get there. The third thing that we see is to live for his kingdom. You see, there's something peaceful about understanding what and who you are living for. There's never a question in your life. There's never this unrest in your life when you understand fully what you are living for, who you are living for, and why you are living. We are called to live for God's kingdom. Isaiah chapter 26 verse 3 says, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. You see, there is this Wordplay here with peace and with trust. You have peace because of what you trust and who you trust. And you trust based on what you are living for. We live on behalf of God's kingdom because we, we trust the king of that kingdom. And this is what God is calling us to. Romans chapter 14, verse 17 says, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. 
You see, there is something unique about having a peace when we are fully focused on God's kingdom. This is why Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be given unto you. He's saying, listen, when you have a split focus, when you are double-minded, when you don't understand why or who you are living for, then this is welcoming anxiety. This is welcoming chaos into your life, not peace. He said, but there's a peace that I give to you when you understand who you are living for. H.G. Wells says this. He says, if there is no God, nothing matters. If there is a God, nothing else matters. You see, when we have peace, we are living in his grace. We are living by his word and we are living for his kingdom. This is how we welcome peace in our lives. And so what is the last thing that we see about peacemakers? Peacemakers have a desire to exemplify peace. You see, there's something interesting that takes place when you have an expectation, when you understand what true peace really is. When you have this true expectation, when you have this true experience with peace, it gives you a desire to exemplify that peace because it gives you a desire to live out what you have obtained yourself. You see, we are called to be peacemakers. There's something different because oftentimes we think of this as the UN does or maybe the military or whatever else. You fill in your own blank there. But we think of it in terms as peacekeeping. You see, I find it interesting that that the Bible never calls his people to be peacekeepers. He says that you are to be peacemakers. What that means is that you can't passively just stand by amidst a storm. You can't passively just stand by amidst chaos in this world. This doesn't give us a pass to say, oh, well, I'm supposed to keep the peace, and so I'm going to stay over in my lane, and you just do whatever you want. Therefore, we don't have to engage the culture. That's not what Jesus says. In fact, it is the opposite. To be a peacemaker, it doesn't mean that you go looking for conflict, but it certainly means you're not scared to step in on behalf of God. It means that to make peace, it means that you are pointing people toward the righteousness of Jesus. It could be narrowed down to this, that peacemakers are the greatest evangelists on earth because they're constantly speaking truth in the middle of chaos. This is what we see in Psalm chapter 85, verse 11. It says, truth will spring up from the earth. Those who understand peace, those who embody peace, those who have experienced it, what it means is that they are here to show others peace. You know, I love the story of John Wesley and how that he became a follower of Jesus. He's known mostly for the movement within the Methodist uh, church, the founder of the Methodist church. But John Wesley departed to head toward America to be a missionary. He did this on January 25th of 1736. And on that day, there was this, in the middle of their journey, a great storm came over them. In fact, during that moment, before the storm even happened, 
There were some other believers on the ship with them, and some people call them Germans, other people call them Moravians. But the Moravians, before the storm ever came, the Moravians started singing a psalm together. And all of them were just singing this song, singing about the goodness of God, singing about the greatness of God. And then this storm came. In fact, the storm was so strong that it broke the main cell of the ship. And it was crashing down everywhere. It was causing chaos everywhere. This, the sea was coming over the ship. And still, John Wesley looks over and the Moravians still continued singing their song about the Lord. And after everything was over, they survived. John Wesley went up to one of the Moravians. He said, were you not afraid during that storm? And the Moravians said, thank God, no. And John Wesley, almost perplexed, continued to press in. And he said, well, what about the women and children? Were they not afraid during the storm? And the Moravian just said back to John Wesley, he said, our women and children, they're not afraid to die. There was something that happened in John Wesley's heart just then because he saw firsthand a peace that he had never experienced in his own life. John Wesley, who was supposed to be a missionary coming to America, found Jesus in the middle of that storm because he watched the Moravians as they exemplified this great peace that only comes from Jesus Christ. And for many of us in this room, you may be thinking the same thing. I have never had this type of peace. I've never experienced that type of peace. The circumstances in your life are controlling every emotion you have. The trials, the tribulation are causing you to waver in this peace. It's causing you to almost be disrupted in your life because you don't have the true peace of Jesus Christ. But Jesus says that whoever would come to me I will give you peace. For those of you that are experiencing a, a lack of peace in your life, the invitation is easy. It is very clear. Jesus tells his disciples, he says, all of you, anyone, anyone who is lacking peace in your life, come to me and I will give you my peace. In John chapter 16, Jesus is telling his disciples, he said, listen, there are going to be moments where you don't feel like peace is around you. There will be moments where trials will be against you. Tribulation will be against you. The world will be against you. Everyone will be against you, but I will be with you. And I am your peace. And Jesus says that anyone who would come after me can have this peace. Would you just bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment and just think to yourself, okay, have I ever experienced that peace? Do I honestly have this peace in my life? And, and for you, maybe you're thinking to yourself, I don't have peace, but I desperately need it. You can pray right now. You can say, Jesus, I need your peace and I invite you now to save me from my sin. I invite you right now to come into my life so that I may experience the peace that you are saying that I can have. You can pray something very simple and mean it with all sincerity 
And Jesus promises that he will hear your prayer and that he will come into your life and that he will save you from your sin and he will give you the peace that you are longing for right now. Heavenly Father, we ask that during this time, God, in this last song that we're singing together, God, would you just stir in our hearts? Father, that will you allow us to understand, God, have we ever really experienced this peace or not? And I pray for the person who is right here in this room, those watching online or wherever they are. I pray, God, that you would enter into their lives right now and that you would fill them with the peace that only comes from you. Heavenly Father, we pray right now, God, that you would hear our prayers, that you would hear our voices right now crying out to you. And it's in the name of Jesus I pray, amen.